Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this interview is Porn, the Addiction Nobody Wants to Talk About. And we're speaking about pornography addiction, betrayal, trauma. No, betrayal trauma, but I think trauma has to do with betrayal as well. (laughs) And our guest is Joshua Shea. And he is a pornography addiction expert, certified betrayal trauma coach, therapeutic disclosure specialist, and the author of four books about pornography addiction, including I'm reading this book about porn addiction for a friend. That's an awesome title, Joshua. <laughs> Thank you. And, and that just came out this year. Since, since 2018, Joshua has given more interviews about pornography addiction and betrayal trauma than anybody in the world. And that's impressive. To date, he has internationally appeared on nearly 400 podcasts, television, and radio shows using his wealth of research and personal story to promote the idea, the ideas that porn addiction spans all demographics and those with the problem should seek help before it's too late. He also speaks extensively with... um, about the issue of working through betrayal trauma, especially with the partners of addicts and those who are facing infidelity. Prior to admitting his 24-year addiction to pornography in 2014, Joshua was a prominent magazine publisher, award-winning journalist, film festival founder, and politician in Central Maine. I want to get into that. We're going to get that's going to be a juicy topic when we get into that, Joshua. <clears throat> In 2017, Joshua launched PAAddictRecovery.com. He also has contributed articles about recovery to TheFix.com and Recovery Today magazine. He's a TEDx talk speaker and has developed and presented a porn addiction educational presentation series for colleges, churches, libraries, and other groups. Sober since April 2014. Awesome. So am I. Joshua still lives in central Maine with his wife and two children. The current animal count is four dogs and seven cats. I'm at five right now, Joshua. We'll, put, we'll get into that, but it's ever changing. Other books by Shay include He's a Porn Addict, Now What? 2019, Porn and the Pandemic, How Three Months in 2020 Changed Everything, released July 2020. And the addiction, as I mentioned, as as uh, no, no, I don't know if I mentioned this one. And the addiction, nobody will talk about how I let my pornography addiction hurt people and destroy relationships. Twenty eighteen, I didn't mention that. That you got a, that's an impressive background, Joshua. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I well, my pleasure. And you know, uh, I've had all sorts of specialists in psychology, personal development on this podcast but never before specifically porn. Yeah, I've had sex therapists. We talked about porn as a topic, but you're, that's your specialty. So I'm, I'm really revved up for this, this discussion. Uh, and uh, by the way, before I get into the meat of, of the, uh, the interview, these are some of the uh, 
questions that Joshua suggested, I ask him, do you like carnivals? What's your favorite U2 album? Should professional wrestling be labeled fake anymore? Is it necessary to have Santa and the Tooth Fairy in 2022? Obviously, he has a great sense of humor, and I think that's awesome. It To me, it's one of the most valuable things I have is my sense of humor. Absolutely. You know, the old cliche is that it's the best medicine. Well, it's beyond a cliche. It's the best preventative as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you can't laugh, and the thing is, I know in my life I have been accused of teasing people. I know I've been accused of, you know, uh, some of that stuff. And it's only because I love it when people do it to me, too. I think I can laugh at myself at my worst day. Um, I can laugh at myself in my best day. And I think that, you know, laughter is fun. And when I saw that question of, you know, what are some suggested questions to ask Nobody's ever asked me any of those on a podcast. I've, 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 those are all really good questions to me. <laughs> Great. And, you know, along those lines, you know, uh, I, I, I admit I have a sadistic side. I mean, everybody has a side, right? Uh, and a lot of people might think I'm masochistic as well because I love when they abuse me. Why? Because to me, it's, a, it's water, I'm a duck and it's water rolling off my back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I take it with a grain of salt. It, to me, I look at it as fun. <laughs> you know, well, I'm going to tell you, Tony, you know, and I, I, I will stereotype people very easily. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I met you within 15 minutes, if I haven't made a mafia reference to a guy named Tony, uh, who's Italian, who's got his hair slicked back, there's something wrong, because, you know, you look I, like an extra from Goodfellas in that I, scene where they're going around the bar and introducing everybody. And I'd be disappointed. I'd be disappointed if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. All right. So let's get into it. First question is, how has porn become so pervasive and why? I think that, you know, there is a there is a line of demarcation and that line of demarcation is when high speed Internet began. Because when you and I were kids, it was we had to find dad's magazine. Later on, maybe we find found a videotape or a friend had a videotape. Uh, a dirty stack of playing cards or something, you know, that's how we got our nudity. Maybe, you know, adult movie theaters when you were old enough to get right. into one or that kind of stuff. Once high speed internet, you know, internet started in the, in the mid nineties. I was one of the first people on it. It took six minutes to download a photo in the beginning. It wasn't <laughs> worth it back then. It just, it was easier to buy a playboy, but once high speed internet hit and you could start delivering uh, videos to people and people could start making videos and make money making videos. That's when we saw the entire pornography industry change. And now we're at a place where we give every 10 and 11 year old kid the greatest porn computer that's ever existed Incredible. in the smartphone that you and I didn't have when we were kids. And we give our kids the smartphone. We send it out with them and say, good luck in the world. Okay. Meanwhile, meanwhile if they can spell man, woman, and sex, they can watch it. Yeah, it's it's uh, obviously quite an issue for the young people, for the young children. Okay. So that's the how, you know, access and capitalism. But what about the why? Why? Besides, I mean, I'm talking about an emotional. Because we're, we're wired that way. There's, I always tell people, I am not intrinsically anti-pornography. I am pro healthy sexuality. Mm. The problem is that 
we have now had so much exposure to pornography in the last 20 years. Yes. We always try to be a little more liberal and a little more open than the previous generation. But what I think happened was I think that our parents and grandparents were so conservative when it came to sex, so conservative when it came to nudity, that we don't want to be like that for our kids. So we largely left it alone, but we never saw this internet thing coming. and. As I said, it's completely normal to be curious about sexuality. It's completely normal to want to see depictions of sexuality, but it's not normal to want to see depictions two hours a day, twice a day, seven days a week. And unfortunately, with when it comes to addiction, you've got the people who have found, oh my goodness, I can hit the dopamine, I can hit my oxytocin, my serotonin, the endorphins, all these pleasure chemicals in our head Instead of going out and having actual sex and having an actual relationship, I can skip all that where that involves, you know, uh, that involves rejection, that involves anxiety, that involves trying to find somebody. Well, I can just go straight and watch to straight to watching this stuff. And all of a sudden, I've got my chemicals. I don't need to go have right. sex with somebody. I don't need to go have a relationship with somebody. I'm getting my fix in my head. And what we need to recognize is that addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction. While every addiction has its own unique set of side effects, porn addiction doesn't take place between the legs. Food addiction doesn't take place in the stomach. Cocaine addiction doesn't take place in the nose. All addiction takes place in the brain. And in a lot of ways, porn addiction is like any other kind of addiction. It's just that now that we have the high-speed internet delivering it to us, and we are not, we are still so puritanical in that we don't want to talk to our kids about things like uh, sexuality, nudity, pornography, the depiction of sexuality. We don't want to show all of these things. We are now in a world where we've got men 18 to 30 who don't remember a world before the internet, but they have seen thousands and thousands of hours of this stuff. And that's going to mess you up a bit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, America has a conservative foundation, but we've always been basically permissive and, lib and liberal. And I think we've gotten just too permissive. Uh, and and that, not just with pornography, uh, in other areas as well. That, and it's really been that quite detrimental to the culture but we can shake our fists at that but that's not going to do anything right right the shaking of the shaking of fists don't do crap <laughs> right exactly exactly uh, anytime i see somebody holding a picket sign or or at a rally it's like okay great you're, you're it's like a choir coming together and singing together right you know, you've got to actually deal with the other people who aren't thinking about this stuff. And that's why I'm out there on these TV shows and podcasts and trying to talk about this because people need to recognize that you and I are going to have a conversation here. We are not going to get graphic about sex whatsoever. You don't have to in talking about pornography. It right. doesn't make us bad people to talk about pornography. It doesn't mean that we are endorsing pornography talking about it. It's okay to talk about it. And if we're going to deal with this in society we need to put on our big boy pants and our big boy shirts and we need to be able to have the discussions that we have been afraid to have to this point by the way joshua i have never seen pornography never 
Uh, okay. okay you're, hold, on, hold on. You're the one. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Everybody, the audience listens, but you have everybody. You got to check out YouTube for the for the face that Joshua just gave me. It was as blank as as blank could be. And I have a feeling anybody who's probably listened to your show before all did a great big bullshit. <laughs> now you got into uh, what very instinctively my my next question, is, and of course. I want you to delve into it now. What about porno as a replacement to relationships? I mean, you you, you began it, but most pe most people who use porn use it as a surrogate for relationships. Mm. You know, I'll talk to guys and girls who are like, "Well, I I look at porn when I don't have a boyfriend or I don't have a girlfriend, and I use it more then. I might still use it once in a while, otherwise, but usually it's just and." That is absolutely normal pornography use. Yeah. That's like the people who can go and have one or two drinks at the bar. That's the people who can go and bet twenty, thirty dollars, uh, uh, you know, at a casino and walk away. Unfortunately, when it comes to addicted use, that's not the way it works. It has nothing to do with sex. That's one of the things that a lot of people can't understand because it involves the depiction of sex. But pornography addiction, intercourse addiction. This, you know, even other things like voyeurism addiction or exhibition addiction, none of them have to do with sex. They have to do with the fact that the person who has the addiction figured out at an early age, at some point when they were going through a traumatic event, hey, this makes me feel better. This makes me feel good. And once they get through that trauma, or I shouldn't say get through it, once they push that trauma off to the side, still unresolved, they'll have to get back to that later. Yep. But once they push it off to the side, for my case, for instance, okay, I was 12 years old when I became a porn addict. I got through some trauma that was going on in my life. And then it's a matter of, well, I'm having a bad day at school. Well, if the porn helped me get through that trauma, certainly just a bad day at school, it'll help. Somebody was mean to me that day. Well, that'll help. Look at, and I look at it, you know, I was also an alcoholic and I look at it in terms of that. How many times did I come home from a rough day at work and pour myself a drink? How many days did I knock off work an hour early to go hit happy hour? That's a lot of what it is, is that you start to use these, these substances not to conquer this giant trauma but the giant trauma was how you were introduced to it originally and if there is no trauma there yeah you can have one or two beers and then go home you can you can look at porn when you don't have a boyfriend a girlfriend and then be done with it and be fine you can spend 25 bucks at the casino whatever it is that an addict can't do the healthy person can can people look at porn and be perfectly healthy of course, the vast majority do. The problem is, in our society today, we don't have the education that says, hey, most people can look at this, not everybody can. And I think that's the education that needs to get out there, is that this stuff can be dangerous if you fall into a certain category. Absolutely. Education is key. All right, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll come right back with Joshua Shea. Great stuff, Joshua. Thank you. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. People start something, then something comes up, or they need a break or even a vacation, and they often never get back on track. Perficio is designed to allow all of this. Visit www.perficio.io. 
That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can live your life as you learn and make progress toward your life-changing goals. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petrosa. We're having a fantastic and illuminating conversation with Joshua Shea. We just talked about uh, how there's such a need for education dealing with this subject. But let's you know, let's stay, staying on the topic. Well, this is about addiction, but you, you talked about how really all addictions are more are basically the same. Uh, and I also happen to be a recovered drug addict, alcoholic, uh, clean and sober for a very long time. And so I know uh, a thing or two about it. And really, addiction is fantasy escapism. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's uh, feelings avoidance. Uh, and I, you know, whenever I help anyone, I tell them the greatest skill that you must master is the ability to feel your feelings. Yeah. This, this is the thing you must practice daily, specifically, even reg in a regimented way. The better you get at that, the better you can stay clean or avoid the, the previous behavior or abstain from it. It's critical. Uh, and you, you, in, you uh, articulated that <clears throat> trauma is typically at the root of this, but does it sometimes not include trauma? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who was kind of the godfather of study in this area, He's awesome. he, had, he had one of the greatest uh, studies early on, um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. He looked at men in America, I think it was something like 3,000, I don't want to exactly quote it and get it wrong, but in his study, what he ultimately found out was that over 70% of men who have uh, porn or sex addiction over 70% have some kind of history of physical abuse that created unresolved trauma. Over 80% have some kind of history of sexual abuse that caused some kind of unresolved trauma. And over 92%, 92 to 95% have some kind of mental or emotional abuse that caused this trauma. So when you look at those figures, it is literally less than one in a hundred men do not have trauma who have porn addiction. And I'll tell you, whether it's me going through uh, my rehabilitation process, whether it's me going through my recovery process with the groups I've been part of, with the people I've met along the way, or whether it's my own clients coaching the last several years, I have yet to meet the person, man or woman, who does not have trauma at the root of this. Now, maybe there are some who don't. I've yet to meet them. You know, I attribute... Uh, the genesis of my addiction to my father's departure from home. He left home when I was 10, which isn't necessarily trauma, but I tell you what, <clears throat> for a kid, I believe that I just wasn't worth, worth him staying there. And, and so I had a sense, not just of abandonment, but that, uh, you know, that was the birth of my sense of inadequacy, which was at the heart of my addiction. Yeah. And that's something I not only had to obviously get over. The biggest hurdle I found in a recovery from addiction is to stop believing the lie <clears throat> that I don't deserve any better. <clears throat> That's well, a great lie. And I, in the last couple of years, there have been some buzzwords to pop up and gaslighting is one of them. You, yes. know, you, can't, you cannot get on social media without having the word <laughs> gaslighting thrown at you at least five times. I've been accused of it daily. <laughs> well, as, 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 but as the thing is, we as addicts become master gaslighters. But the person we learn to gaslight the best is ourselves. Mm. 
You know, we we only become great manipulators, great gaslighters, because we learn to do it for ourselves. We learn to rationalize. We learn to tell ourselves the stories that we need to hear. And that's how we then learn to tell other people, our partners, our friends, our employers, the stories that they need to hear to keep ourselves out of trouble. Because we can rationalize, we can minimize, we can say whatever we need to say, and we become fantastic liars. We gaslight ourselves from day one. Well, very astute. I like the way you put that. You know, it's very common for um, an alcoholic or a drug addict to also have a sex addiction. I've heard about it many times. That that wasn't my situation, uh, but I've heard about it many times. What do you think the correlation is? I think it's trying not to feel or trying to feel good. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 the physical side of what the drugs or alcohol do to you mentally. If you can actually be having sex with someone or having sex with your own hand, it can make you feel better. And think about it. What think about porn, for instance, when you look at porn on a screen, nobody on that screen is going to say to you, hey, you're late to work. Nobody's going to say to you, hey, you didn't take the trash out. Hey, you're not you're not no good complaints. enough for me. You don't make enough money. You're not pretty. Anybody on anybody who is on the screen is not going to say anything to you. Right. And the great power of it, Tony, is that you can just hit the button if you don't like what you're looking at. These people aren't good enough for me. Click. Oh, okay. Can I get off to these people? Nope. Click. There is such a sense of power and yes. control when it comes to porn addiction. Um, this is what you see with video game addiction. This is what you see with gambling addiction. These process addictions, they're not, you know, the others are chemical addictions. These are process addictions. Mm. They give you senses of control, senses of power that you may not have. So if you are able to control, you know, kind of dull your senses with the drugs, dull your senses with the alcohol, you can then move over to porn and suddenly you're the master of the sexual universe. My nights for 20 plus years, my nights were pour myself a big drink, sit down with my laptop. My alcohol and my porn went hand in hand to the point where when I first went to rehab, I went for alcoholism. It wasn't until about six weeks into rehab that my caseworker was like, I think you have some sexual addiction issues. And I was like, no, he's like, he's like, the way you talk about porn, the way you talk about sexuality, I'd like you to meet with somebody. So I was, I was in California at the time. He had me meet with a certified sex addiction therapist off campus from the rehab. This guy I started to see two times a week. He was the one who made me realize Porn addiction is a real thing. He actually made me realize addiction is a real thing. It's a brain disease. Even if it's one of our own making, it's still a disease. And he made me realize that, you know, not only did I have porn addiction, it predated the alcohol and it probably caused more problems in my life. But because this is 2014, I'd never even heard of porn addiction at the time. I thought that my unhealthy porn use was just a result of the alcohol. That's all I thought it was. I didn't recognize it was a second addiction completely. It's so insidious. Uh, and of course, it's, you know, the old cliche is that the first symptom of addiction is denial. But, you know, and but you were already in treatment for your alcoholism or drug addiction, whatever it was. But you weren't. But so you, must, you had some sense of that. 
but not but not even in a, 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 any kind of a real awareness of the other addiction. Well, how much stupid <laughs> shit did I do when I was drunk? It was just part of the list, right? It was just, it was just it was part just, of the list. That's all. And then it turns out, oh no, this is something different, and this is something that you know needs to be addressed on its own. And now I look back and laugh and go, how did I miss this? But we weren't talking about sex addictions back then. You know, that's one of the reasons I do this is because what could you have said to 15-year-old Josh that maybe would have woke him up? What could you have said to 18-year-old Josh that might have woke him, woken him up? That's why I'm out there talking about this stuff because nobody said anything to me about porn addiction until I was sitting in rehab in Palm Springs, California for alcoholism. It needed to come earlier than that. You know, I, I was in AA and NA. I'm very grateful to those groups and I endorse them. But, you know, I also would warn people of, of the minefield <laughs> that those places have. Um, and, you know, I know I noticed in Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous, there were lots of people who actually belonged in Narcotics Anonymous because they were really yes. drug addicts, not drunks. Uh, and I always respected the two primary functions, all these AA's prime function. Uh, but so it seemed to me, well, it seemed to me that it was much more respectable to be an alcoholic than a drug addict. So a lot of people who were drug addicts would go to AA. You have the same process of 12-step recovery, which is about acceptance, deeper and deeper levels of acceptance, uh, primarily. Uh, but they were, they, don't, they, were this, they even though they belonged in NA, a, a great many, perhaps even a majority these days because of the proliferation of drugs. Uh, of course, yeah. society's favorite drug is alcohol. But nonetheless, there's more and more drugs, more and more accessible, uh, right over the very thing you described, this internet. But it seems to me that, to, but today, sex addiction is would be the most shameful thing of all, uh, you know, in in comparison, in 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 the public perception. Do you think that that's a fair statement? I I think so, and I'll tell you, I make this joke, but I think it drives home the point. When I you know told people I'm going off to alcohol rehab. It's like, oh my God, you're going to battle the demon. You're so strong. You're a hero. You go and you kick alcohol's ass. All right, man. And then you say, I'm going off to rehab for porn addiction. And it's like, get me the hand sanitizer. I don't want to touch you. Exactly. Oh my God, you pervert, gross guy. Ooh. Right. I imagine because it would that's go. How, from that's how we're trained as people to react to somebody who says they look at porn, right. despite the fact that statistics say almost everybody does. It's like the shame. It's a, it's yeah. a shame. And I imagine that the reaction would typically, or might be my imagination, the great support for the alcoholism, like you mentioned. And then you mentioned sex addiction silence yeah <laughs> you know they don't, they don't say anything <laughs> it's getting better it's getting better over the last eight years it's getting better as more education is getting out there and we're normalizing it and as some of these people who are teens or in their 20s are now getting older and recognizing oh my i have a i have a porn addiction um there was a study right before the pandemic came out of men 18 to 30 years old Almost 33% self-identified as having a problem with pornography, a developing addiction to pornography, or a full-on addiction to pornography. It was like 32%. Now, that's one out of three. It's, it's granted that is self-diagnosed, uh, but that's one out of three men who have said that they have this issue. 
That's scary. Yeah, that you think alarming. about that. These are the men under 30 years old who don't remember a world before the internet. One out of three is sexually unhealthy. Women are starting to catch up. It's now one out of five to one out of six of them that are 18 to 30 who are having this issue. If we don't start to take care of this and start taking care of this when people are young and kids and teach them the right way, it's going to be, we're just going to perpetuate this. So it is getting better, but we have to, like I said, you and I have not talked about the graphicness of pornography and we don't have to talk about the graphicness of pornography to talk about it and we have to start talking about it and until parents recognize talking to your kids about pornography is not birds and the bees it's not the sex talk talking to your kids about pornography is the same talk as well you shouldn't do you shouldn't smoke cigarettes when you're in my house you cannot drink when you're in my house when you get older you can do what you want but that's not healthy for somebody who is 12 or 13. When you're older, you'll make your own decisions. That's the pornography speech. That's what more people need to recognize. It doesn't have to be about sex. And when we finally realize we can talk about pornography without talking about depictions of sex, we will gain our biggest uh, our, our biggest strides in society in, 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 in taking this on. I suspect with people like you, that's going to happen. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. We'll come right back with Joshua Shea. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. People value all sorts of things, but Benjamin Franklin teaches us that the most valuable thing we have is time. With it, we can have practically anything. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O where you can truly learn how to value time and have that instilled in you so that you can best use time to work for you. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petrozo. We're having a very illuminating conversation with Joshua Shea, addiction from pornography specialist. And my next question is, and I developed this from your information, <clears throat> when is it too late for porn addiction? What do you mean by that? Uh, I you had said something that in uh, in your information that it can be it can become too late for somebody. Did I or did I misread that? Yeah, no. I, I've I, I, if somebody is an addict, well, I guess what I'd say is uh, I usually don't see people develop porn addictions much past thirty years old. It always, almost always starts in childhood. It starts in the teenage years. I've never met somebody who started into pornography after okay. 30 years old and became an addict that way. But as far as getting better, you're never too old to get better. I'm relieved to hear that because that was my, my yeah. understanding and experience as, as well. I'm glad I had that wrong. Um, now, you, you already alluded to how this really afflicts uh, the younger people. And today, you know, I... I, I have this app called Instagram and uh, I look on it, young girls, teenage girls, or they, they seem to be teenage to me or, or women in their twenties, they seem to be going right up to the, the borderline of pornography, thirsty for likes and hits and engagement. I was like, it's like school for pornography on both ends, the, the, the models as well as the viewers. It's just, I mean, we already alluded to this, but it's rather incredible. I, I mean, I mean, are, are we producing this deliberately? Uh, the, these, the people behind, you know, the, well, all the players. 
Yeah, yes and no, because let's let's go back to you and I being in high school. Right. Let's we didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet, but we didn't have social media, obviously. And if there was a picture of like the buff football player wearing a little, you know, at the beach with the sexy cheerleader who all, they always dated each other and he's wearing his short shorts and he's got his abs hanging out and he looks good. And she's in her tiny bikini and her boobs are hanging out and her flat stomach and she's looking good. You're going to look a, if there was a photo of that, that would have been passed around the lunchroom for everybody to see. Absolutely. We know this. I would have took it home. <laughs> exactly. It would be passed around like currency. Now, we don't have to do that because every 15 and 16-year-old is basically expected to have these half-naked pictures of themselves on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok. And that's part of the society is that it's just expected to show that kind of skin. And why wouldn't it be? Because, again, we're giving these kids telephones where they can see the most explicit sexuality at a young age, it's not going to be shocking to have some nudity in their life. What is the difference between a girl on her the day before her 18th birthday and on her 18th birthday? Basically, it's the ability to make $1,000 on OnlyFans. That's the only difference. Yeah. And we have a society today where, where nudity and sexuality doesn't have the taboos that it did when you and I were younger. So it's not a big deal for these people to show their body parts to each other. Before the pandemic started, January 1st, 2020, we had about 300,000 people worldwide making content on OnlyFans. Because of the pandemic and people needing to make money, by January 1st, 2022, only two years later, there was over 2 million people making content on OnlyFans. So just those two years, we added 1.7 million porn stars, in quotes, to the world of making porn. And that doesn't count cam sites or these other sites where people have done it. We have added millions of people doing your do-it-yourself porn at home. Maybe that's better than not being in porno movies. Maybe that's better than not stripping on a stage somewhere. I don't know. I guess it's semantics. But we now have a society of younger men and women who see selling depictions of their body, including sexual acts, as an actual way to make money these days. You know, the, the, the one thing you can say about OnlyFans is that they figured out the last genre of pornography, which is porn of people you know. And these kids who are 22, 25, 28, my daughter, 23 years old, I asked her about OnlyFans when I first learned about it a couple of years ago. And she's like, oh yeah, I have an OnlyFans. And I was like, what? She's like, no, 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 I don't pose. I just have an account to support my friends. And I was like, oh, you have a lot of guy friends who do that? She's like, oh, no, I, I have four female friends who do it. And I was like, really, that many? She's like, oh, yeah, everybody has friends doing it. And it's amazing that there is probably, for those of us who work in self-help, those of us who work in addiction, we understand this younger generation. But for most people, probably 40, 42 years old and over, they don't even know what OnlyFans is. Yeah. Yet for the people who are younger, it's an everyday part of the culture. And that's one of the real problems right now is that, Basically, the world in America is still run by old white men 
who have no idea what's going on in youth culture. That's one of the biggest problems is that the people who are in control have no idea what's going on. So this is going to go on unchecked for years and years unless we start talking about it. Because most people, if I asked my parents what OnlyFans was, they'd have no idea. Yeah, totally. And you alluded to it. And I think it is a positive because I, I've seen pornography as it's all over that is really humiliating to women that is abusive and aggressive and it's very disturbing that well, women will volunteer for that I, don't, I imagine that most of them on the influence of drugs when they did it because some or some of them uh, it's very disturbing and absolutely and 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 i mean i guess the nice thing about only fans is it puts the control into yes. their hands and i'm not going to tear apart a guy or a girl who has to make their rent, who has to feed their kid, who has to do this type. You do what you have to do, especially during a pandemic. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to embarrass you for that whatsoever. But what we also have to realize is that when people say, so what's the problem with porn, no matter what kind of porn it is, whether it's that super degrading stuff, or it's a woman who is just posing right. in, in lingerie. Porn does nothing except reduce people to body parts. At the core, that's all porn is. It's reducing somebody to body parts, no matter what is being depicted exactly. Well, of I can't argue with that. It, you know, it's it's lighting up the, the that neurology the, the same across the board. It doesn't matter what the what the object is. Now, now, of course, I know that you're an expert in this field and and an esteemed author. Author. Do you also work as a coach in this field? Do you coach people? I do. When the pandemic started, I was mostly doing speaking gigs before the pandemic started. I was going to colleges and libraries and that kind of stuff here in the Northeast part of the U.S. and keeping a very busy schedule with it. When the pandemic hit, that disappeared immediately. And suddenly Josh needed to make some money. And I was enjoying what I was doing. I didn't want to go back to journalism, which I had done for 30 years. Uh, I wanted to keep I wanted to keep working on this pornography side of things. And a friend of mine who was a betrayal trauma coach said, why don't you become you're so good talking to people. You're so good explaining things. Why don't you become a coach? So I went I first became a betrayal trauma coach. Then I became a certified uh, pornography uh, addiction coach. And just recently I got my certification as a therapeutic disclosure specialist. Fantastic. We're going to take our final break and we're going to delve into that, into betrayal, because that, that's that's the my next and, and final big final big issue. We only have we don't we don't have much time. This will be the, the unfortunate last segment with Joshua when we come right back. This episode of self-help coaching is brought to you by Perfizio. What if there was a self-improvement program truly personalized to you that knew and cared for you deeply? that whatever was going on in your life adapted for you perpetually. Visit www.perphysio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O.io, where you can start a program that will always suit you, considering all the pressures and nuances of your life. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petrozzo. We're having an incredible discussion with Joshua Shea. He just talked about, you know, really his credentials and what he does. And, uh, and the issue now is betrayal. And of course, the, betrayal is a very, everyone knows betrayal on some level. And, you know, and I contend that betrayal is emotionally 
uh, it's just like losing a loved one suddenly who died emotionally. There's that sense of loss, but there's a lot more, lot more dynamics going on. If someone betrays you, you can have a sense of worthlessness. Uh, what, what are the dynamics? How does one deal with betrayal? Well, I'll tell you, it's, I know that it's hard for any partner of any addict, but I have not seen any other addiction where the partner gets such a sense of worthlessness because suddenly most people lie about their porn use, especially if they're an addict, especially if they're in a committed relationship, because for a lot of, of partners, it's cheating. It's, it's going outside the bounds of what you agreed as, as a couple, but because these men and women are addicted, they can't control themselves. So let's say that you've been married six, seven years. Suddenly you find out that your husband is a porn addict. Well, why did he become a porn addict? Is it because I'm not pretty enough? Is it because I'm not good enough in bed? What caused me to become a porn addict or what caused him to become a porn addict that I did? What, what is it that I'm not good enough at? Is, is I'm not pretty, I'm guessing. I got fatter. What's, oh my God, if he's been hiding this for five years, what else has he been hiding? Could he have another family entirely? What, 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 what are his finances really? Oh, my, I don't know who I'm with. I don't know this man who I'm with. That's the way that the self-talk happens, where it starts out as, okay, why did I cause this addiction, but snowballs into, oh my God, I can't trust a single thing about this person. Mm -hmm. And that's when you feel the ultimate betrayal is that I trusted this person with my life. I believed everything that this person said. I thought I knew this person. And then the rug is pulled out from under you. That is a very jarring experience. And probably one third of my clients I see at this point are betrayal trauma who are partners of porn addicts because it is just like getting slapped in the face when you least expect it it's incredible uh and and so and and i'm just as i said it's probably very common you know betrayal, betrayal of all sides it's just it's traumatic yeah. it's a blow it's like you know like you're getting slapped in the face i think getting hit by a truck is a better description it's it's very For many yes it's it's very hard to deal with uh, or it can be certainly uh especially the more well you know the more surprising it is or the more hopeful you were uh so okay great let me get to i think we've covered that sufficiently let me get to my final question and that is that you had a distinguished public life and then you admitted porn addiction what happened uh most people ran screaming for the hills. Uh, most people who were part of my life uh, wanted nothing to do with me. And I think in some ways they felt betrayal because mm -hmm. I presented myself as for the last six, seven years before I was confronted by family and friends and before I went off to my rehab first for alcohol and then later for, for porn, um, I think when it came out that I was a porn addict, a lot of people who knew me felt a sense of betrayal. Oh my God, this guy was a city councilor. This guy raised thousands of dollars for charities every year. This guy gave free advertising for charities. This guy was a pillar of the community. He was, you know, he helped so many people. He created this film festival that brought millions of dollars to Central Maine. And 
Oh my God, but he's a pervert who looks at porn. Well, I can't have anything to do with that. I can't be associated with that. That's gross. So it's interesting in that I would say that the people who still have resentments towards me, people who still hold things against me are the ones back from 10, 12, 15 years ago who remember me as one guy. And because I didn't wear the badge of porn addict or the scarlet letter of porn addiction on my chest because I didn't do that. And they found out later some other way that made me somehow different in their eyes. So it was a very tough transition going from a very public life to after I stopped, I did a lot of freelance writing and ghost writing at first before I got into writing my books about pornography uh, when I was going through my early recovery. It was challenging. I mean, I love it now. I meet people like you and I meet people like my clients every day and I, I help them and I, I, I encourage them and I teach them about this stuff. I don't feel lonely at all. But when I look at my relationship with my community, it's nothing compared to what it was. I don't feel comfortable in my community anymore because I kept this secret from them and many still remember. Well, you're doing awesome work, Joshua. So I, Thank I, you. I hope that's some consolation to you. Uh, this has been a very illuminating and I think important conversation. I hope a lot of people uh, check it out. I'm sure on my part, they will. Uh, and I really thank you. Do you have any any final remarks for the audience? Yeah, the only thing I want to say, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I wonder if I have a problem with porn addiction, uh, check it out because we don't ask ourselves that question unless we do. Do you ever ask yourself, hey, do I have a problem with watching TV? Do I have a problem with eating strawberry ice cream? Do I have a problem with vacuuming? Do I have a problem with riding on fire trucks? Odds are the answer is no. You don't ask yourself those questions because you don't have those problems. If you're asking yourself if you have a question with porn or sex addiction, you probably have something worth at least looking into. Um, unfortunately, um, there's not a ton of resources out there. There are not a ton of resources just available, you know, like there are for some other addictions, but they are out there. And if you think you have any issue, there is no such thing as a stereotypical addict. I've met people from teenage years up to their 70s, men, women, smart, stupid, every color of the rainbow, every religion that exists. There is no stereotypical porn addict. Don't tell yourself you're not that demographic. Anybody can be and get help before it's too late. Thank you very much. And how can someone find you? Best way is through my website. Uh, you said it earlier. It's the letter P as in porn and then addictrecovery.com. Paddictrecovery.com. You can learn about the coaching, the books, anything we talked about here. And there's also a way to get in touch with me there too. Great. And I understand you also have a, a free gift to uh, a listener who comes about. Absolutely. When I do uh, when I do initial sessions with people, I charge them $25 right up front to have an uh, hour-long uh uh, initial consultation with me. If somebody mentions your show, Tony, I will give them that initial consultation absolutely for free, yeah, just so good. just so they can get a baseline so we can talk about this. So they'll save 25 bucks if they have any questions. If they don't have a problem, I'm more than willing to let them know, and I'm happy to let them know. And if they do have a problem, I can give them a lot of resources for how to potentially take care of it. 
Well, very generous of you. Thank you very much, Joshua. I really appreciate this discussion we've had. Uh, you've been a fantastic guest. A very, it's been unique, and I thank you again. And remember, everyone, we're all responsible for ourselves, and we could all use a little help. And with that, I'll see you on the next episode of the Self Help Coaching Podcast. Thanks, Joshua. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.